Y'all are good. You can start flipping to John 15 on page 901. We'll get there here in a minute. Met several people that are here for the first time today. If I haven't met you, my name's Chuck, and uh, been around here for a while, and I'm thrilled to get to commend Jesus to you today. You ready? Anybody? All right. Life is so very unpredictable. If you're older than three, and you are, your life hasn't turned out exactly like you thought it would, right? Life is very unpredictable. There are times in life you have a, have a moment of, of time or sanity, and you kind of get there, and you just say, how in the world did I get to where I am today? Anybody? You look at your family. How did we get here? Circumstantially? Physically, financially, geographically, you're just kind of blown away. How I can't explain how I got where I got. And then, if you throw, if you're a follower of Jesus, you throw the Bible in there. Jesus takes credit slash blame, maybe, in some people's minds for how you got to where you are. He says, "I am the author and perfecter of faith." He's writing this story. All of our stories have these story-like qualities. That it's, uh, we live in a tragic fallen world. So one of the, a lot of things we have in common is we've all been hurt. We've all hurt others. We've all fallen down. We've had the highest of highs, the lowest of lows. It's unpredictable and all sorts of crazy things has happened, are happening, and will happen. True. True. We got all that in common. So how do we make sense of it? What we're going to see today in an incredible passage there in John 15 uh, Chad had given a book to the leaders over Christmas about making disciples, and one of the chapters was about moving from striving to abiding in Jesus, and he asked me today to preach on abiding in Jesus, so that's what John 15 is all about. But I want you to see the context before we read it. The 12 disciples, life went crazy berserk in one night. You see, in John 13, Jesus sits down Washes their feet and says, I'm doing this to be an example to you. That later on, just minutes after that, he says, one of you are going to betray me. And then Judas kind of slips out into the night. And all of a sudden, it was night. Then Jesus says, hey, I'm going somewhere and you cannot follow me. You cannot go with me. And Peter says, oh, yes, I can. I'll even die for me. And he says, oh, no, you won't. You will deny me. And then we flip over to chapter 14. He starts telling about how I'm going away to be with my father, but I'm going to prepare a place for you. And in the midst of this same night at this same meal, when all chaos is breaking loose, how he's going to die and rise and leave them. He says, it's better. It's better for you that I go away. And I will send you another helper. And greater works will you do because I go away than when I leave. Than if I would stay. Because I'm going to send the Spirit, and He's going to not only be with you, but in you. And so the disciples, on that one night, that one crazy night, knew that life was so very unpredictable. All the emotions they had to be feeling, all the fears, all the questions about, was this worth it? What's God doing? How did I get here following this Messiah, and He's going to go die and leave us with all these promises that make no sense to us right now? That's the setting for John 15 on that very unpredictable night. 
So if you're able, stand, and I want to read to you John 15, verses 1 through 11, because this is God's word for people. The main message is going to be, abide in me, is what he's going to tell these guys. As I'm reading this, just put yourself in their shoes. They've just been gut-punched. And what Jesus is going to do, he's going to use this vine gardener imagery. He's going to say, my father is this master gardener, and he's going to take care of this. He says, I'm the true vine, even though you can't see me anymore. And your job as a branch is to abide in me, because I'm the, I'm the source of all life. That's the big picture to help us. Hear the word of the Lord. Jesus is speaking. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does not bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself, unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you, unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me, and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he's thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, it will be done for you. By this is my Father glorified that you may bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things... I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and your joy may be full. That's the word of the Lord. Yeah, have a seat. So as you read that, the benefits of abiding in Jesus are staggering. They'd ended with this great unexpressible joy he was offering these people, even though they felt gut punched. He promised deep rest, deep abiding, deep intimacy the experience of joy, life filled with answered prayers, a life of much more fruit bearing, the, a life of the power to actually obey Jesus' commands and a deep love for one another. The promises are staggering if we learn what it means to abide in Christ. But more staggering than all that for the benefits of what it means to abide in Christ, put this quote up on the screen here in the book that, that Chad had given us leaders um, there's this quote. Is it up there? Yeah. There's no practice greater than abiding in Jesus. The life of God is both fully realized and fully released in the lives of those who move from striving to abiding. What abiding does says the life. Listen to that. This is radical. The life of God is going to be realized inside you and be released through you for the blessing of others. That is staggering. And that's Actually, in the text, it'd be good to see in verse 4 when he says, Abide in me and I in you. When we abide in him, it's, he's abiding in us. And then again in verse 5, to make sure we don't miss it, I'm the vine, you're the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him. The staggering glory of being a Christian isn't that you just try to do your best, isn't that you try to follow these rules or principles, that you open up for a to-do list or a little feel-good. The Christianity following Jesus is that the life of God comes alive in you and animates you and helps you realize who you were meant to be 
and the life of God fully released through you. That's staggering to me. I, I've been, as soon as he gave me that book in December, I read it one weekend. That, those two swing thoughts of the life of God being realized in me and released through me have dominated my thinking these last six weeks. And it's bore a lot of fruit in my life. So today I just want to, for a few minutes, tackle some more practicalities of what it means to abide in Jesus. It's good just to say, okay, we're dismissed, go abide in Jesus. I've always been a little bit confused about that, and I've, God's teaching me. So I just want to share with you a few things he's teaching me. And here's a definition I changed a lot, but adapted from that same book. So here's my definition of abiding that I think is helpful to me. Pretty simple, so hopefully it's uh, going to be helpful to you. And we'll have that up there the rest of the day, because that's what we're going to talk about. Abiding is an effortless resting in the risen Jesus. This whole thing is dependent on the resurrection. And abiding is being confident in his affections for us. Second, confident in his abilities to work in and through us. And then confident in his authorship of our story. So that's really the three points. Confident in his affection, his abilities, and his authorship. And so look at verse 9, and we're going to see the first thing there, that what does it mean to abide in Jesus? That word abide means remain or be connected to. You just got to figure out how to grab a hold. And, and so these are three handles that have been helping me grab onto Jesus when life gets crazy. So the first handle is abide in Jesus' affections for you. 15.9 says, as the Father has loved me. How much love does a perfect father have for a perfect son? Perfect love. With that same love, Jesus says to these guys as he's telling them goodbye, so I've loved you, so abide, remain in that love. Don't ever forget, that's the core, that's the foundation. So what he's saying is, when life gets unpredictable, let me love you. That's what he's saying. Abiding is just learning to to rest in his love and arms. The picture of the gospel is that, that he picks you up as a little kid and he's never going to let you go. Romans 8 says he'll never let you go. When life is unpredictable, abide in his love. Let him love you because life is unpredictable, but here's one predictable thing. He loves you. And he loves you despite your performance. You can rest in his love because his love is unconditional. Because his love rested on a transaction that happened between God the Father and Jesus on Calvary some 2,000 years ago. Where Jesus paid for all of your sins and he poured out the punishment for all of your sins. There's therefore now no condemnation for you. And now the Father in that passage Hayden read in the welcome of Luke 15. God's arms are eternally opened by the cross of Jesus and welcoming undeserving sinners. Rest and abide in his love for you. Grace is just God's undeserved favor for those deserving only wrath. So when life gets crazy, grab on to his affection for you. But here's the interesting thing. As you attempt to grab on his affection for you, really what you learn is that he's already grabbed a hold of you, whether you know it or not. That's what being a Christian is. You're eternally secure in his hands, his arms. Those nail-pierced hands and arms. They have you. Grab on to him because he's already got you. You're safe in Christ if you've repented and trusted in him. That's so good. So when life gets crazy first, you get it? Abide in his love. That's good. His love will refresh you and, and fill you up. It's 
unconditional. The second thing about abiding in Jesus is we want to abide in Jesus' abilities. I mean, he's got abilities to do crazy things. We're going to walk through a few of those. Look at John 15, 5. First of all, it says, Whoever, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If you don't abide, you can't do anything. You will live a wasted life. What's implied there is that apart from him, you can do nothing. But if the life of God is fully realized in you and fully released in you, and you're abiding in him and he's abiding in you, he's God and he can do a lot of things. So apart from him, you can do nothing. With him, you can do everything. That's right. And he wants you to do it because that passage goes on to say, by bearing much fruit is my father glorified as you prove to be my disciples. Because when you abide in him, you let him do the impossible in your life. And guess what? He gets the credit, the glory. We boast in him and all heaven rejoices and earth are finally simultaneously unified because Jesus is the only hero. Jesus is the only perfect person. And that's the point of the story. But also you can look in verse 8. Same thing. It says, by this is my father, oh, I just watched read that. By this is my father glorified. You bear much fruit and prove to be my disciples. That's his will. He wants to live. Jesus was on earth at a point in time. He left, sent his spirit. He wants to live his life now. That's why it's better through all of you. His life. It's crazy. It's staggering. That's what Christianity is. So, I enjoyed writing this, so give me about two minutes because I enjoyed this. So let's think for a minute about how abiding in Jesus' abilities can change your life today, whether it's in your parenting, your disciple-making, your leading, your work. So parents, if Jesus can create the sun and the stars, he can create a new heart in your children. Abide in his abilities. Employees, if Jesus can walk on water, he can walk you through whatever troubles you're having at work. Friends, if Jesus has the attention of detail to make your eyelashes keep dirt and filth out of your eye, he's paying attention to every detail in your life today, and he cares about it. Gospel community leaders here at Fellowship, if Jesus can open the eyes of the blind, he can open the eyes of your group to see him. To the depressed and discouraged, if Jesus can resurrect from the dead, he can resurrect hope and joy in your life. He can. His ability, abide in his abilities to the tormented. If Jesus can deliver a man from a legion of demons, he can deliver you from any torment in your life. To the fearful, if Jesus can hold together the universe, he can hold together your life. To the bitter, if Jesus has forgiven you of cosmic treason against his perfect father, he can help you forgive anyone despite how much they've sinned against you. To the anxious, if Jesus can calm the storm on the Sea of Galilee, he can calm that storm in your heart. You see, Jesus has good abilities. That's what it means to abide in Jesus' abilities. If you're worried about your future, if Jesus in the future is going to restore all things together for his glory, he can restore everything he wants to bring a joy-filled future in your life. If you feel unlovable, Jesus has the ability to love the unlovable. He had the ability to love the men driving the nails into his body. He can love you. If you feel tempted, if Jesus can endure 40 days of assault from Satan one-on-one, he can help you say no to any temptation to sin. If you feel purposeless, if Jesus can use 12 disciples to change the world, he can use the people in this room to change Jonesboro and Arkansas and Haiti and beyond. Right? Jesus can. Period. Abide in his affection. Abide in his 
ability. So when life gets unpredictable, start thinking about Jesus and his affection for you and his abilities and what he wants to do. Because usually when life's gone crazy, you think, oh, i got to run from these circumstances. And Jesus has perfectly positioned you in the position you're in to get maximum credit and glory and fame for what he's going to do next. Abide in Jesus, his affection, and his abilities. I mean, he's risen from the dead. He's a master at miracles. We just got to trust in him. And then the third point of abiding is abide in Jesus' authorship of your story. Abide in his affection, his abilities, and his authorship of your story. Hebrews 12, 2 says that Jesus is the author and perfecter of your faith. Remember the context, John 15. These guys wouldn't have predicted, asked for, or wanted to be in the position they were in. And yet, Jesus says it's going to be better. I'm not going to leave you as orphans. And I'm going to come and rescue you. We don't like sometimes to think about the painful parts of Jesus' work in our life. But this passage, look at 15, verse 2. This author actually prunes snip snap every branch in me that does not bear fruit he takes away and every branch that does bear fruit he prunes that it may bear more fruit when life's unpredictable things are going crazy when you go God why am I here he he wants you to look up and pay attention to what he's trying to tell you he hasn't abandoned you. The painful pruning isn't punishment. He's already punished Jesus. It's not punishment for the Christian. Or maybe if you have never said, I want to follow Jesus. I want to repent of all my sins and trust in him as my personal Lord and Savior. Maybe the crazy circumstances in your life are because you've never believed. And he's just trying to get you to look up and say, I'm a big sinner and you're a big Savior. Help me. So, undoubtedly, some of you need to have that conversation right now with Jesus. That's why you're in the situation. That's why you feel like you're at the bottom of the barrel so you can look up. And what you're going to find is that he's already reached out his hand to you. And he's been chasing you. And he loves you. And he wants to forgive you of all of your sins. And he wants to come live inside of you. He's a good Savior. But this author prunes. Verse 2 says he's a vine dresser. Pruning is painful hard work. It's hard work. It's necessary work. It really is. But it's not punishment. I read recently that grace is not just there to numb the pain. But grace is an anesthetic. To prepare you for surgery from God's tender, kind hands. Grace is an anesthetic to prepare you for surgery, not a drug we use to numb the pain. God's going to show you grace. You're safe. So you can open up your life and say, do surgery. Prune me. Improve me. Weed away the sin and the junk so I can bear, bear much more fruit. And here's what personally I'm learning about this. is that one of the tragic responses to his pruning and pain is that... 
we often begin not to love what he's doing in our story, but we begin to covet other people's story. I was reading like a month ago, Colossians 3, where it says, put to death covetousness, which is idolatry. And I go, well, that's, I got a lot of sins and a lot of habitual sins. That's just not one of them. And the Holy Spirit's like going, oh, yes, you do. I'm like, what? It's like, you're coveting everyone else's story. You're coveting their circumstances, their, their seeming ease, their, their lack of all the missteps you've taken, all the regrets. And, and then the more I've thought about it, we all do that. We, we all covet. We all have these desires for something that's not ours. And, and we, we covet people's jobs, their education, their past, their present, their future, their seeming ease, their seeming success, their wife, their kids, their jobs, their income, their ski trips, and anything else they're lying about on Facebook about how great their life is. You're coveting their story. And then for a week I go, but why is that idolatry and cautious? Put to death covetousness. And then it dawned on me. It's coveting is idolatry because in those moments we're coveting everyone else's story instead of enjoying God's work and authorship of our story. We're believing a lie about God that he's good, but he's better for you than he is for me. And that's sin. That's idolatry that we need to repent of and change. That's horrible. It's just not true. It's a lie. He's not better for everyone else. We don't need self pity parties. We need to see the action and work of God. We need to abide in His authorship. We can't panic. We can't run. And we can't get into freak out mode when life doesn't go our way because He's promised to be near us and in fact in us. And He wants to work. And so three dangers. So why on this point down of coveting really is this. Uh, first is that we're blinded to the good work He's already done in our past. I spent the last three days just journaling and thinking and just thanking him for all the goodies he's done as I'm trying to repent of this. You look at your past. He's been good. He's been better than you, better to you than you deserve. He has. Don't miss the blessings. Don't waste your life away coveting someone else's story. Enjoy the present work of God in your life. Second thing that the danger of coveting someone else's story is that you'll disbelieve he's got the power to redeem your past. All of our paths are tragic. We're living in a tragic, fallen world. We've all been hurt. It all, we've, all just, we've all suffered. We've all sinned and been sinned against. It's tragic. There's hurt. There's brokenness. It's real. It's painful. However, however, those moments, he said he wants to redeem. The lost years, he says, he will restore the lost years, the locusts have eaten away. All those are opportunities for Jesus to be famous in bringing healing and comfort. Just like 2 Corinthians 1 says, he wants to bring comfort in all your hurts. So that you can have a ministry of comfort to others the rest of your life. But if we're living someone else's story and just really being disappointed with God, the what he's doing in your story, you won't be able to see the grace in his past. Or how he's trying to redeem your present. And then third, and very importantly, if you're just coveting someone else's story, you'll be distracted from hearing the voice of God for today in your story. Because you're going to be in pity and trying to control it. You're going to be everything but still and at rest. And trying to hear the good voice of God today. Ephesians 2.10 nails it. He's got good works prepared in advance for you to do. He's good. His pruning is good. His authorship is good. His affections are good. His abilities are good. 
fellowship, I mean, I know life's unpredictable. I know that we all don't suffer in the same way. I know we all have pain points. I know that if you were the author of your story, you would have written it differently. I know that. But today I call you, let's worship the real Jesus in your real life. Just as you find yourself today. Who's good. Despite what you think should have happened. He's the author and perfecter of your faith. Which means he's trying to perfect your trust. That's all he wants. Trust my love and my affection. Trust my abilities to work in and through you. And trust that I'm a good author and perfecter of your faith. Let me just pray for us for a second. We believe, but help our unbelief. If there's anyone here that doesn't know Jesus, may today they see their sin, but even more brighter, will they see Jesus as a perfect, wonderful, wonderful Savior. Father, help this church abide in your affections. Abide in your abilities to bear much fruit in 2017 and beyond. And abide in your authorship because life's unpredictable. But you're not unpredictable. From our eyes, you are. But you can, you're predictably perfect in all your ways. Amen. Well, you may have been thinking that's the shortest sermon he's ever preached. Which is true. You're thinking correctly, but I'm not done. Anyway, yeah, the elders have asked me um, to update you on some, as I said, life's unexpected. The elders have asked uh, me to update you on some unexpected just developments in Lindy Nye's journey. And so um, that's what I'm going to do. Is that fine? Yeah. Yeah. Um, some months ago, back in the fall, just an unexpected opportunity, what we thought might be an open door for us to begin to work with Jared Pickney and work with SOMA, just training uh, and strengthening church planters in the South. And that was uh, pretty intriguing because a lot of the guys that are doing that, I have deep relationship and fondness for. In fact, about half of those guys have done church planting residencies here. Uh, like Jared and Luke planted Fellowship Perigo about four years ago. Tommy and Celeste Rutledge, some of you remember Finally, are planting Soma Asheville. Uh, Ross Fergus and his partner Aaron Goodrich are planting in Soma Grand Rapids. Just guys like that. And so, in order to figure out if that's something that was from God or just uh, from some any other place, we begged and asked the elders and their wives here just to pray for us and join us on a journey of praying for God's will uh, for our life. And they honored us very richly in doing so. And uh, you can probably see where this is going. I wouldn't be probably telling you this journey. And so best we can discern, uh, all of us, we are going to say yes to that open door. And so uh, practically what that uh, means is that while we're not going to be moving out of Jonesboro and no one's going to be dropping a lot of money on me to do ministry, I'm still practicing law four days a week. What it does mean is that, that I've resigned as being one of the elders and leaders here that I've been since we planted this church back 2002. It's been quite a journey, hasn't it, Lindley? Yeah. And so um, we're going to do that. Second, it means that we're gonna be, we are going to be joining Jared. Uh, he and I are going to co-lead a team to work with church planning and church strengthening in the south through the Soma family of churches. And as part of that, Carl will be joining uh, our church plant as a member there at Fellowship Paragol. Um, 
uh, in April. We're not running out the door. Our last Sunday here is going to be uh, April 9th. Um, this was, uh, was, is whew, hard. I'm good. Um, I do think it's important for you to know the, the process. Like I said, we, we prayed. I mean, Chad and I have talked tons. I mean, the elders talked tons. In December, we had a dinner at Jay and Leslie's with uh, all the five elders. Slade, Hayden, Jay, where are you? Jay, Chad, and myself, and our lovely wives, and just pray, process this. And I just want to tell you, it's one of the sweetest, sweetest nights. Um, just, you know, processing sadnesses and fears and excitements and just misunderstandings, just trying to do all that. And anyway, it was a sweet night, um, and it's just a night that, that I'm grateful for. These guys have really honored us deeply by entering that process with us. We actually did the same thing with the Fellowship Paragol elders and their wives, just pray with them. Um, I make a lot of mistakes, and it's like... What I'm learning about myself, I really hate making bad decisions, so it's, it's been quite a, a several-month process. Um, but anyway, that's, that's where God's leading us uh, um, for this next season, at least. But um, that's the hard part. Uh, here's the fun part. I want to I share with you three things um, that are on my heart about all this. First is, and I believe this with all my heart, God's hand is on this church for good. I mean, it just is. One of my favorite verses in the last two years has been Psalm 139, 5. And it says, it's talking about this glorious knowledge of God for us. It says, you hem me in from the front and you hem me in from the back. And you laid your right hand upon me. Such knowledge is just too wonderful for me. And so, in your life, in my life, sometimes you just feel hemmed in. I mean, God, whether you feel hemmed in or not, you're hemmed in. God is just like... Constantly, that's just a word, I think, for building fences or something. He's got you fenced in. And he's got you where he wants you. And his hand is on you for good. You're not isolated while you're hemmed in. You're hemmed in with him. And that's a good thing. God's hand is on this church for good. I mean, we honestly, it's important for you to know. That being said, I mean, we're not running from something, but running to something. As hard as that is. Uh, to leave you guys uh, in this way. Um, I mean, we're not leaving this church because we don't like this church, don't love this church, don't think God's hands on this church. I mean, I'm writing this out, and I was like, man, I, I, I really do, from the depth of my heart, think this church is in a great position, a great place, which makes it easier to leave because I've sat over three different Sundays in the last three months, and it's like God has given me peace to say, I got this, Chuck. I got this. And it makes it hard to leave. It's like, man, I'm going to miss out on so much. I want to be everywhere, you know. But I can't don't get to be everywhere. And so we're not leaving because we don't love this church. And it's not in a real good, healthy place. Um, it's in a good place. We're not looking for another church to join. It's just the call of God to serve as a leader somewhere else. I really do believe this church... It's just poised to be one of the most significant churches in Arkansas. A church planting, church multiplying, full of grace and truth church for the next, uh, well, for the generations. A lot of things being built here have been so needed in Jonesboro. 
and it will continue for generations. So God's hand is on this church for good um, because God's good, but he's clearly brought the right leader. Never been more convinced. September 19th, 2012, tell the story a lot. The clearest thing I ever heard from God was that he brought Chad here to lead this church and free me up to do some other things. And, and I still, with full conviction, believe that. I know the elders believe that. Chad is a, a great shepherd, a great prophetic leader. He's a man of God. He hears God. Great character. There's just a few people I can't look at and hold it together. He's one of them. Um, he came Oh. I knew I'd do that. Stay away from electronics. Comic relief. <laughs> Comic relief. Now, one of the first conversations I had with Chad was he, and he just said, hey, man, here's what people told me in the past, that God has really used me to build up leaders in their faith and their ability to, to operate in the realm of the Spirit and to really operate with a, a grace motivation. I said, awesome. I want all that stuff. And I can tell you that's what he's brought here. And I want to tell you even more, well, not more importantly, but he has been the person, the human on the planet that have helped me do that, to operate in the realm of the Spirit with a grace motivation. Everywhere I go, everywhere I speak, train, work, do anything, the way I parent has been changed because of you. Oh, it's just a fact. And a lot of you have experienced that. Some of you are here for the first time. You have to go, what is going on? Who is that clown? <laughs> but you're in a good place. God brought you here. He's got you hemmed in. Because God will use this man and this team as a blessing in your life. I promise you that. Yeah. We're going to have a membership class here in five minutes. Also, another reason God's hands on this church for good is because of you guys. Man, such gifted, loyal, dedicated people. I mean, artists and servants and leaders, musicians and deacons and elders and gospel community leaders and dreamers and servants and servants and servants and servants. He's gathered you all here, in the words of Esther, for such a time as this. It's a good time. It's a good season. And mostly God's good hand is that Jesus is the head of this church and uh, he's been very patient with me. He's good. Second, I said three things. That was one big, long thing. Lindy, Lindy and I are both really extremely glad and extremely sad. I'm not going to lie to you. Be honest as I know how. Um, I don't want to, and in the sense, I don't want to downplay that. I mean, we are super excited. In a lot of ways, I think God's been preparing me for this call to work with these church planners I mean, I've been asked to help recruit and develop church planners alongside Jared in the South uh, on the Soma National Sending Team and do coaching with them and put on events and train. And if you know me very well, you know that at least I like doing that. But I think I've seen God use me in that. Um, yeah, those things get me excited. So we're thrilled. I mean, that's just the way God's will is. I mean, he's calling you to something. He's going to give you the desire to do it. But, I mean, that doesn't mean it's not just crazy hard and this decision making process has been long on purpose uh it's been filled with every emotion faced a lot of fears i have the fear of making bad decisions I have the fear of hurting anyone I have the fear of misunderstanding i have the fear of in any way someone misinterpreting this and it harming chad's leadership the elders 
just what God's doing here. Um, a lot of fear. But God's met me and relieved the fears and assured me, like I said, over there three different times. I got this. I got the right people for the next season. It's been so affirming in my heart. And so there's been a lot of fears. Been fears, you know, it's like people sit out there. I've been out there where you are and you hear announcements kind of like this. You go, well, what's really going on? What's he spinning today? And I just fear that because um, I haven't said one lie. I'm not spinning anything. And what we're sad. What I'm learning is sadness is the expression of how deeply you value what you love. And because we love you, we're sad. Hopefully that's honoring in the sense that you mean a lot. You mean a whole lot to us. I mean, like I said, I'm not moving. A couple blocks over there. Um, But it will be different. We won't be here after a few months on Sunday morning. And we'll miss you. Anyway, God's up to something really good here. He just is. It's very satisfying as a church planner to be able to move on and know that God's got this. Third, short, finally, we are currently, listen close, we are currently and forever will be family and gospel partners. And that will not change. I'll just close and sit down and read you a paragraph that says it much better than I, that expresses my heart in Philippians 1, about the gospel partnership we have and will have into the future as we partner. Um, This is Paul talking to Philippian leaders. This is my heart to you. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you, all making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. It is right for me to feel this way about you all because I hold you in my heart. For you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment, fortunately I had been in prison, and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment. So that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. Filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the praise of God. So, before I get snot on the mic, I'll just close with this. Um, we've been processing this long and praying and I know that you haven't been. So, uh, I mean, I'm available to tell you the truth if you want to process it. Don't shy away. My cell phone number is 870-897-1566. Call it, we'll talk, we'll pray. Uh, and I want to encourage you so about all that God's doing and will do. Okay? So, fellowship. Abide in Jesus' affection. And abide in his abilities. And, divide, and abide in his good authorship of your individual stories and the collective story of this church. Okay? It's God's word.